Our reading today is from Matthew chapter 11, verses 25, until chapter 12, verse 14. So that's Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered the synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep... If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Well, good morning and a warm welcome to you. Uh, Thank you very much for having uh, me and Helena with you this morning. Um, For those who don't know me, my name's Andy. Uh, I grew up here at Hebron um, and have been away and back a couple of times. Um, But it's a great privilege to be with you this morning, um, to be rejoicing in many years of fellowship and partnership in the gospel together and to be opening uh, God's word for you this morning. It would be a great uh, help to me and to you if you could open that passage that Hannah read for us, uh, beginning at the end of Matthew chapter 11, and have that in front of you uh, as we come to consider God's word now. Uh, So from uh, Matthew chapter 11 and verse 25, and as we come to consider God's word, uh, let's pray together. Father, we come now to listen to your word. And we pray that you would meet us in it. Some of us, Father, are rejoicing and raring to go in a new year. 
And we pray that you would fan into flame what you have set in our hearts. For others of us, Father, we've barely made it to the end of this year. We're limping on. We're dreading another year. And so we pray that you would meet us, speak into our lives. And Father, wherever we are before you, however we are feeling about our lives, Father, we want to see Jesus. So lift him up before our eyes and in our hearts now through your word, we pray. And in his name, amen. Well, let me ask you, would your life be better or worse if you were to have just a little bit more sleep? Would your life be better or worse if you were to have just a little bit more sleep? It's a dangerous question for a preacher to ask, isn't it? Many of you have been looking forward all morning to these next 30 minutes or so when you can finally get a bit more rest We all know, don't we, how much we need sleep. And yet it's one of the great mysteries of science. Though scientists and studies have done a lot to understand what happens in our bodies and our minds when we sleep, scientists still struggle to give a coherent answer to the question, why do we sleep? Presumably, those scientists have lost countless hours of sleep as they've pursued the answers. And yet, the Healthy Sleep Project at Harvard Medical School has gone so far as to suggest that that question, why do we sleep, is, scientifically speaking, unanswerable. And so we don't really know why we sleep, and yet we all know that we need to, don't we? We know that lacking sleep makes us grumpy. It makes us lack in energy. It makes us unable to think clearly, prone to making mistakes, generally unpleasant to be around. And we know too, don't we, that even if we're in the middle of Christmas holidays, even if we've been getting all the sleep that we need, a holiday still does us the world of good. Just as our bodies need rest each night, so in the same way our souls need rest, don't they? And so we keep telling ourselves as we go through life, this next month or two they're quite busy, but after that I'm looking forward to a quieter spell. And that quieter spell, it just never seems to come, does it? We go through life from one crisis to the next, And the rest that we all long for is always just over the horizon. Don't we, all of us, long for a rest that just seems to elude our grasp? Sometimes we feel that so acutely, don't we, in the external pressures and the responsibilities that keep us from finding rest. For some of us, young children and older ones too. The demands of work, looking after aging parents or spouses, insomnia, illness. And yet, even if we don't have any of these external pressures in our lives, 
we all feel a sense of restlessness that comes from within. Sometimes we see that restlessness as we consider national events, don't we? Constantly refreshing the news to see the updates on the latest migrant disaster, the latest breaking scandal, or a raging war. And I wonder, don't you find it hardest of all to rest when you've had a fight with someone you love? The restlessness that we feel in strife and intention as we lie awake at night wondering, why did I say that? How could I have done that? True rest is not just a well-slept body. It goes even beyond a peaceful mind. True rest, we know, don't we, is a state of our soul, of our whole being. And so I want us to consider this question this morning. Where will we find rest in a restless world? Where will we find rest in a restless world? In this little section of Matthew's gospel that we're considering this morning, Matthew is showing us that Jesus is the one who can give us rest, true and lasting rest. So let's consider three questions as we work through this passage together, as we consider what Matthew has to tell us about Jesus and all the rest. Firstly, how do we get it? This rest, how do we get it? That's verses 25 to 30. Where do we find rest in a restless world? We are bombarded, aren't we, with ways to find rest. Come to our holiday resorts, they say. It's the most peaceful around. Just get away from it all. Or take up this new hobby and relieve your stress. Spend ten minutes a day thinking about nothing at all and find inner peace. And whatever real benefits each of these might have. Do you see here Jesus has a much simpler offer. Not a place that you need to go to. Not an activity that you need to pursue. Or a skill that you need to master. How will you get rest? Look there at chapter 11 verse 28. Jesus says, I will give it to you. All we have to do is come to Jesus and he will give it to us. That's his glorious invitation, isn't it? Come to me, all who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. It's his invitation to everyone who is laboring, toiling to find rest. His invitation to those of us who are burned out, weighed down by life. Those of us who just feel burdened, heavy laden. Jesus sees the state of our souls. And do you hear his care and compassion for people like us? He's not angry with us for being restless. He's not disappointed that we're longing and searching for something in life. Do you hear him? He just holds out this simple offer. Come, I will give you rest. Verse 29, he is gentle and lowly at heart. 
Jesus isn't fiery and aloof. He's not impatient and stern. He's gentle and lowly. He's always willing to give rest to the weary. He's not come down. He's not come into our world at Christmas in order to crack a whip, in order to tell us to get on with it, but in order to give us this glorious gift of rest. When I was a student, uh, we had to clear out all of our rooms and halls over the holidays. And so after my first term at university, I was getting the train home for Christmas. And being a student and probably being an Aberdonian, I decided I wasn't going to pay for the taxi. I would just walk. Thank you very much. And so there I was with all my stuff, setting out to walk down to the station to catch my train. And for some reason, it seemed at the time a good idea to take two different guitars home, all of my books and notes from a term of study, all of my clothes to be washed, and everything else that you could need. And with all this stuff, a little over a mile to the train station, well, that was quite ambitious. It hadn't seemed like very much when I'd walked all that way before. But here with two guitars, a semester's worth of books and notes, all my laundry, well, a mile to the train station was hard going. Those first few hundred meters, they were fine. I could swap my bags around between hands and keep going. But the more I walked, the farther I got, the more I could tell I wasn't going to make it. I kept struggling on for a little while the bags and the cases getting heavier and heavier as I went. And eventually there was only a few hundred meters to go. I could see at the end of the road the train station. But I was never going to make it. I was having to put the bags down every few paces now, heaving them up and uh, pulling them along the next few steps whilst others were rushing past, racing to get to their trains. But then coming alongside and picking up the handle of the biggest, heaviest bag, a kindly stranger said, come on, you take the other handle and we can do this together. And so we hauled my luggage all the way to the station. With all that burden, what I needed was someone to come alongside and help me with it. Is that what Jesus offers us here? Well, no, it's not really, is it? Jesus doesn't come alongside us and say, let me help you with your burdens. You continue to take all the weight and I'll give you a bit of a helping hand. No, Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest. You take my light burden on yourself and I'll take all your baggage for you. For Jesus to have helped me with my luggage, he'd have come alongside and said, let me take all that stuff off you. Let me take all that's weighing you down. And you just take my stuff. I'm traveling light. I'll take what's yours. You take what's mine. And Jesus says, come to him. Take up his way. Learn from him. Take his yoke upon you, he says. He means harness yourself to him. Let him be your guide through life. 
Let yourself be shaped into him as you walk together. Make him your partner in life, your friend through life. And when you do that, he says, you will find rest. The rest that you've always been seeking. And so if you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, if you're someone who's never known this experience of giving all your burdens to Jesus to harness yourself to him, well, let me ask you, where do you think you will find that rest that you're looking for? Everyone else in this world, every other idea of rest, it goes like this. If you work hard enough first, then you can get a secure rest for yourself. Make enough money in the bank and then rest on the security that you've made for yourself. Build a big enough, good enough personal brand and then you can rest in your popularity. Work hard enough on mastering recentering techniques and then you can create a restful space. Everything and everyone else in our world cries out to us, work first. And only then, maybe, if you're good enough, you might get rest. Do you see how Jesus is completely different? Come to me and I'll give you rest. First, let me give you the rest that you need. And only then, only once you have that rest, we'll get to work together. It's a completely unique offer, isn't it? So what do you make of it this morning, this offer from Jesus and his rest? Well, those of us who are Christians, this offer is for us too, isn't it? Jesus is always calling us back to him. He's never pushing us away. He's always saying, come back to me and receive rest once more. Whatever burdens you've picked up along the way, however crushing your feelings of guilt, Jesus says, come to me, find rest once more. Now you may be wondering as we consider that passage that we had read for us so well by Hannah earlier, that's all very well concerning verses 28 to 30 about rest. But what about verses 25 to 27? Why does Jesus make this offer of rest just after announcing that no one can know God unless Jesus can make him known? These are completely different issues, aren't they? Knowing God and having rest. Well, hold that thought, and we will come back to it in a few minutes. So here in this first section, Jesus makes us this wonderful promise. He can give us rest. But haven't we had enough of leaders who make great promises and never follow through? Who say they can do great things for us and leave us no difference? Well, we turn to our second question. This rest, can Jesus really give it? Can Jesus really give us this rest? That's chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. And it might seem like chapter 12 introduces a sudden complete change. It's a shift, isn't it, from Jesus speaking so intimately and directly to us as readers 
into considering a rather dull controversy about some Jewish legislation. But this is not a change of topic. Matthew, as he writes his gospel, he was writing to teach us about who Jesus is, and he very carefully puts this right here. In verses 1 to 8 and 9 to 14 of chapter 12, Matthew's telling us about two different conflicts between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day about the Sabbath. But this is not just any Old Testament law, is it? This is the law of rest. It's the fourth and the longest of the Ten Commandments, uh, a command that instructs God's people that on the seventh day of the week, every week, they were to do no work. It was a day of rest for everyone and everything in the whole land. And so one day, as Jesus and his disciples are taking a gentle stroll through the fields, and his disciples pick a few grains of corn and eat them, the Pharisees, they see it, and they know that this violates the Sabbath. It breaks the fourth commandment. And so they say, verse 2, Look, your disciples are doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath. And do you see how Jesus responds? He refers to two different Old Testament stories as case studies. He quotes another passage from the prophet Hosea, and then he makes two slightly strange and enigmatic statements. So what's going on? It might seem to us at first reading, mightn't it, like Jesus is kind of brushing away these over-scrupulous Pharisees. Is he just saying to them that it's better to show mercy than to throw rocks at others? Is Jesus saying to these Pharisees, well, leave aside, forget about the law, and just show mercy instead? Well, I want us to see that that's not what Jesus is saying at all. Jesus isn't saying, get rid of the law and show mercy. He's saying something much, much bigger than that. Do you notice what he says about his disciples in verse 7? He says, If you had known what this means, quoting from Hosea, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guilty. But he doesn't say that, does he? Do you see what Jesus says there? You would not have condemned the innocent, the guiltless. So here is Jesus not asking the Pharisees to show mercy to his disciples who have broken the law. No, he's telling these Pharisees that his disciples, even though they're breaking the Sabbath, are completely innocent. So what's going on here? Well, we've got to go right back to the start, to the very beginning of the Sabbath, to the very beginning of the story of rest in the Bible. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, at the very end of the account of creation, Moses writes, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. In Genesis 1, God's work of creation is so artfully and elegantly presented. 
a pattern and a rhythm to the accounts that perfectly reflects the order and the structure of the beautiful universe that God's made. For six days, God creates and fills, and there was evening and there was morning. But when it comes to day seven, when God has finished his work, he rests. Six days, six evenings, six mornings, But here on the seventh day, there is no evening. There is no morning. The seventh day doesn't end. Moses is showing us this is God's rest in his perfect world. This is the ongoing state of his completed creation project. You see, God's rest is not because he was tired from six days of work. God's rest is his dwelling with his people in total harmony forever. Living together as God and his creation in the serene Garden of Eden. But as the story goes on in Genesis 3, we human beings, we brought an end to this great rest and bliss. We turned away from God and rebelled against his commands. And so by rejecting the God of life, the one who gives us rest, we put ourselves in a world of death and restlessness. And so God sent human beings out of his presence, away from himself, away from his rest. And the rest was history. But God promised, didn't he, one day, through a human being, that state of rest would be, destru- would be restored again. And centuries later, God gives to the nation of Israel the tabernacle, which becomes the temple. And God made one place in the whole world where he would dwell among his people again. They couldn't enter back into God's presence, but through the tabernacle, through the temple, just one tiny glimpse of this rest was back. And the temple was full of images of Eden's rest, of trees and pomegranates, of a great curtain with cherubim blocking the way, reminding all of Israel that they live east of Eden. They live outside of the presence of God and his rest. So God gave this great sign of the tabernacle and temple, but he gave another sign too, didn't he? The Sabbath. The seventh day, every week, all the people were to rest to remind themselves of why God created the world, that he might dwell with us and we with him. To remind them that every day was supposed to be enjoyed in God's presence. But because of our rebellion and our sin, we live in a world of restlessness and death. But as Jesus teaches us here, in the temple, in the temple there is no Sabbath. All the priests do all their normal work. And Jesus says in verse 5 of chapter 12 here that the priests doing all their work in the temple are innocent. Do you see in the temple there is no Sabbath because the temple is always that true and better rest. That the Sabbath is just a pointer too. And so God gave these two pictures and a promise. Two pictures of rest. And a promise that one day a king was coming 
who would restore the reality that these two things are merely pictures of. And then, Matthew shows us centuries later, a man and his disciples walking through the fields, picking corn and eating it. And what does Jesus say? They, my disciples, they are innocent because something greater than the temple is here. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? Not just forget about the law and try and be nice to other people. Jesus is saying the temple, the Sabbath, they were pictures, signposts of God's true, great rest. And now something better than those signposts is here. Now the reality has come. Come to me, he says, and I will give you rest. How can we be sure that Jesus really can give us this rest that he offers? Do you see, it's because coming to Jesus is returning to dwelling in the very presence of God once again. To the presence of God himself. It's the whole world put right. It's the completion of all that we were made for. Jesus can give us that true and lasting rest because he's greater than the temple. He's not just a signpost like it was. He's not just a signpost like the Sabbath. He's the Lord, the Lord of the Sabbath, the one that the Sabbath was always pointing us to. Ah, so we say, This is no mere legal dispute, is it, between Jesus and the Pharisees? No, Matthew is showing us so carefully, so clearly, that Jesus can give us rest. And so, our third question, what will it look like? What will this rest look like in our lives? We all like to rest in different ways, won't it? Uh, don't, Don't we? Some of us rest through activity, others others of us through no activity. If we all rest in different ways, well, will Jesus rest? Will it work for me? I have an uncle who for many years worked in the city of London. And so for every weekday, it was getting up early and getting home late, a long commute in on the train, frantic and busy in the high-paced world of the London financial district. And so, weekends were desperately needed for a good rest. And so, for many years, his ideal weekend went something like this. Leave work on a Friday, get home, sleep for a few hours, and then jump in the car and drive through the night up to the northwest of Scotland and arrive early on Saturday morning. After driving all night, bag a few Munros on the Saturday, sleep in a tent, and then climb a few more on the Sunday before driving back through the night and getting home in time for a quick shower and hopping back on the train for work on Monday morning. Does that sound like rest? For some of us, that's exactly what we need, isn't it? Clear our heads, get some rest. But for some of us, a couple of long books, a box set, a big pot of tea, those are the required tools of a restful day. We all rest in such different ways, don't we? So will Jesus' rest work for me?
in this second Sabbath controversy, Jesus encounters a man with a withered hand. It's a severe disability. Certainly it's life-altering, but it's not life-threatening. And so the Pharisees challenge Jesus in verse 10. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And again, Jesus turns to a case study in verse 11. He asks these Pharisees, well, wouldn't you help a sheep on the Sabbath? To how much more a person? But again, Matthew, he wants us to know much more than about how we should interpret Jewish legislation. This isn't really about what it's okay to do and not do on the Sabbath. Jesus is telling the Pharisees, you already know what the Sabbath is really about. You'd exert all that effort and all that toil of pulling a sheep out of a ditch because you know that the Sabbath isn't really about rest. Why would you help that sheep on the Sabbath? Because the Sabbath isn't about rest. It's about restoration. You see, it's about returning things to the way that they should be. And so pulling that sheep out of the ditch and back into good pasture, that's a signpost of the restoration of the true life and health of the Sabbath, of a restored relationship with God. And so see there in verse 13, at Jesus' word, this man reaches out his hand and it's restored to full health once again. Jesus is showing us here in the span of one hand what one day he's going to do for the entire cosmos. He's taking us back back to Eden, onwards to a better Eden, into a new creation where we dwell with God perfectly forever, where God dwells with his people again. That's the life, that's the rest that we were made for that Jesus offers to us. And so this rest that Jesus says we can have, well, it's not sitting quietly in a temple or a church contemplating, is it? It's a rest that brings restoration for all things, for the whole of creation. So let me ask you this morning, is your life withered and broken Do you feel crippled and weighed down by the weight of your sin? Jesus says, come, I will give you rest. Not try a bit harder next year. Not try and do a bit better, but let me give you rest. Let me take you back to how things were always supposed to be. Let me take on myself all your burdens Let me carry your sins to my cross. And he says, let the weight of your punishment and your sin land on my shoulders. Let me take the rejection, the sending out of Eden that you deserve. Let me be forsaken, expelled from God's presence in your place. And you, in exchange for all that, you take my rest. And so starting now, this very day, but knowing fully only when Jesus returns and restores the whole creation to its proper way, let Jesus work this rest, this restoration project into your soul. 
So do you remember that question from earlier, from part one? What were chapter 11, verses 25 to 27 all about? Why did rest go with knowing God? You see now, don't you? What does it mean to have rest? Well, yes, it will mean restoration for us to all that we were meant to be. But what is that? Restoration, it means reconciliation. It means restored to dwelling in a right relationship with God once again. Enjoying the perfect rest where he lives with his people. And so Matthew would have us know that we can know God again through Jesus. And only through Jesus. Because he's the one who can bring us back to God. To know him. To enjoy him and to rest with him. No more rebellion against God and his ways. No more war. Just peace and rest for our souls. That's what Jesus means when he says, Come to me and you will find rest for your souls. That's the invitation that Jesus holds out to each one of us. He says the only way to true, to real and lasting rest is to receive it from him. And we've seen, haven't we, he really can give it. It's not an empty promise because he is the one who was promised to come and restore our rest. And this rest that he offers, it's the reconciliation of all things to God, which brings peace for our souls. And so, do you see, there, there are only two ways to respond to this. Did you notice how the Pharisees respond at the end of the passage there in verse 14? These Pharisees hearing Jesus' offer of rest, seeing what it means for him to give them rest that will restore all things. What do they do? Do they bow at his feet and say, please give us rest? No. They go out and conspire against him, how they might destroy him. To ignore Jesus' words, to brush aside his offer of rest, is not just to leave him aside, it is to seek to destroy him. And we will never find rest by destroying the only one who can give it to us. So take the other option. Listen to Jesus and his words. Come to him and find rest for your souls. The Lord of the Sabbath has come. One greater than the temple is here. And so as we enter this new year, find rest for your souls in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this great news of who Jesus really is. Thank you for this great, this unspeakable gift that he has come. Not to tell us how we can work our ways into your good books not to show us how we can create a better world for ourselves, but to give us all that we need, all that we don't deserve. And so we pray that you would help us to look to Jesus with fresh hope and with renewed joy this morning, and that through all the days of 2024, we would come to the Lord Jesus for rest. 
as we consider what we might do with this new year. We pray that you would help us to do so from a place of knowing great rest in the Lord Jesus, of knowing that you demand nothing from us but what you have given to us in the Lord Jesus. And so help us to enjoy the great rest that he's given to us and so to walk with him through all our days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.